We need to question our present experience. This is our family history. This is what we're being conformed to. Another thing that I said is that we are waiting expectantly. This is a season where I believe God is wanting to raise the level of our desire for Him. And in the midst of everything that's going on, Lord, grow in us this longing that whatever you would imagine doing in our city and in our lives could be done. And if it's not reality in our lives, there should be some sort of tension and angst that we live in. Lord, why not? What do you want to do here? How can you change my life? What is it going to take in order to see this release in our life? Now, where this message fits in uh, this whole series is that we are now moving into the uttermost parts. So, Jesus in Matthew, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So, Jerusalem, number one, Judea and Samaria. So, so that's that broader area out uh, around in Israel, but it's, it's another group. It's something that's, that's just, it's like the half uh, siblings and this uh, extended family, this the Jewish history. And the uttermost part are the people that have no connection to the, this Jewish heritage. And from Acts 13 on, the story is about a guy named Paul. And Paul was someone who was completely against the work of the church. He committed himself to bringing Christians to jail and having them killed. And now he's, he is the forefront player in all this. So in the same theme of going, we've got a, something that's similar to the maps in the back of your book. How many of you have a picture that looks like this in the back of your Bible? And you just thought, that seems like a waste of space. What in the world is that all about? So I'm, we're going to take it through a pretty quick progression right now. And there's four journeys through the book of Acts. The first one, Paul leaves Antioch and he goes into a place that's called Asia Minor uh, in, in those times. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what that means. Is the laptop working? Oh, okay. Oh, here you go. We have a problem. Okay. I thought it said laptop PowerPoint, and I was like, yeah, the PowerPoint's on the laptop. Can you get in? Let's see what happens here. <clears throat> Excitement. So, four journeys. Acts 13 and 14, Paul starts off in Antioch, and he gets on a boat with Barnabas, and they go over to the island of Crete. And they're there for a period of time, and then they uh, go back into the main continent, and they go through basically south-central Turkey. So in our minds, they haven't gone that far, right? But this is the uttermost part. So he goes through a number of cities, uh, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Derb, Derby, and then he goes back through all those cities. It takes about a year. 
his second missionary journey, moving into the, the end of uh, Acts chapter 15 and 16 and 17, Paul and Barnabas have a conflict, and uh, uh, Barnabas takes John Mark down uh, back to uh, the area they, they were in, I believe, into Cyprus. And Paul and Silas then go back to this area in Asia Minor, and there's a story once they get over to this area where Paul has a vision and someone says, come over to Macedonia. And when they do that, they go over into Greece. And they, this is cities of Philippi and Corinth and uh, Thessalonica. So there are a lot of different cities in that area where we have these letters that Paul, once he established these churches, he wrote letters to these people. Then they went back through all of that. And then we have the third journey. And they're not so much establishing new territory as they go back through these, these areas again. But they go all through Asia Minor. They go back into to Greece. And the fourth journey, I don't have up here. But Paul gets uh, his own way paid for by the Roman government. And they uh, send him on ships all the way to the city of Rome. And his desire ultimately is to go into Spain. So all of this travel, what happened? Basically, three things happened. Paul preached the gospel. So you have a series of sermons by Paul that are listed through each one of these chapters. And he, he spells out something that these people have never heard before. Most of them are uh, uh, pantheistic, they're worshiping nature, or they're worshiping different idols that they've created with their own hands. And he's telling them, there is a God who you can have a relationship. He's the creator of the world. His, he, he sent his son here to pay for your sin, and you can uh, have life. You can have a relationship with God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he told them, there is a resurrection. There was one who had power over death. He was raised from the dead. So that was pretty dramatic information. And then there's signs. The second thing that happened, preach the gospel. Number two, miracles. So this is not just somebody having an argument with someone or not just coming in with a philosophy or a new concept. Crazy things happen. There's, in one city, there's an earthquake where all of the chains fall off of all the people in jail. And nobody's hurt. They just, the, the doors open up. There's angelic visitation. There's all these amazing things that happen. So supernatural things happen with the church, with this whole ministry of Paul. And the third thing is that there's significant opposition. Paul doesn't go into a place and just say, oh, one of these people want to hear me. He goes in with everything that he's got, full strength. And what happens in most situations is people start, it's not immediate. Sometimes it's as long as two years that he's in a location, but they throw rocks at him, really large rocks, with the purpose of killing him. Or they escort him to the edge of town and run him out. And it's, what's amazing is that Paul goes back into these same cities that he ran him out of. And he keeps going and going. So I'm going to tell a couple of stories. Ron stole some of my glory, some of my power through uh, already telling some of my stories. You did a fantastic job, Ron. Thank you. But, so they preach the gospel. 
see power happen, and there's opposition. Okay, now, why is this important? This is what we do. Paul's example is an example for us. And there are places in my life where I think, I'm not having any opposition. What's wrong? I'm not hitting any walls. Is something wrong with this gospel that I'm living out? There's no power. I haven't experienced this power in considerable time. What's wrong? I may not be really preaching the gospel if I'm not having all of these different effects. So let's start out. We're just going to cover journey number one. And pretty amazing, one year, what happens in, in Paul and Barnabas' life. So we start at the beginning of chapter 13. They're in this uh, diverse, multiracial, diverse socioeconomic, diversely gifted church, and the Holy Spirit says something to them. Now, I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven and watch all the replays on this. You know, what exactly happened? Did the walls reverberate? How did God say this to them? What, how, what kind of affirmation happened? But something powerful happened, and this trip began. So they go down to the coast. They get on a ship of all the different places. You're thinking there's this huge amount of geography. They could go in any direction. They go to a place that they can't walk to. They get on a boat to a little island out somewhere. And they, they go to Cyprus, and they start at one end of this island, and they work their way across it. Over a course of two months, they preach in synagogues. So there's, here's the pattern. Paul's Jewish. Barnabas is Jewish. They're going to people like them. They're going to people that will be, will, they think are going to be most receptive. And, and there's a, a sense of obedience, I believe, of doing that. So they go from place to place. They go all the way across the island, and they end up in a, a city called Paphos on the far end of that island, and they meet a pro-council, someone like a governor. And I, I can imagine whatever court situation they walk into, and they're building a relationship with this pro-council who seems responsive. But there's a guy in the court, there's a guy in the retinue, in this gathering, that really is opposing them. And his name is Elimus. He is a sorcerer, so he has some spiritual power. Obviously, the, the governor has given this guy a significant position, so he respects the power that this man has. And Paul doesn't uh, have a conversation, really, with the guy. He does something. If you turn into Acts chapter 13, and he looks at him, and he's not really that nice in what he says. He's not really that friendly as he's communicating this. Here's what he says. Paul, who was called, uh, Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks straight at Elimus and says, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So you might try that in some situation you're in this next week, you know. 
somebody you feel like because you're getting a lot of opposition from, it's tremendously resistant, and uh, no, not necessarily a good idea. So, and Paul does this. He says, now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you're going to be blind. For a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. One thing that's interesting to me is this is what happened to Paul. He's had this experience where he was blinded. And the effect on him... So, this event wasn't necessarily a punishment. It could have been the point of conviction and repentance for this sorcerer. It wasn't just trying to do something bad to him. It was displaying the power of God. So, Paul... It's not like his, his superpower, okay? He can't do this everywhere he goes. But he calls down blindness on this man. Anybody had this as a part of your previous experience? Everything we read in the book of Acts should stretch us. And instead of just going, yeah, those are old stories. That's not real. We need to be saying, Lord Jesus... How could you reveal yourself in our lives in a more substantial way? Because in our city, there is so much unbelief. There's so much fear of standing in a place where you're confident of the supernatural. Because people will think you're stupid. That's not logical. That's not rational. So... We have to have a confidence. We have to grow against this wall of unbelief that hits us on a regular basis and say, Lord, any way that you want to work in my life, I want to be a part of what you are doing. Well, the impact of this is that the the governor, the proconsul, gets saved. And we see later on in, in the New Testament... Churches are planted all over this island. An open door happens in this area. Now, they uh, leave the island, head up to the continent again, right in the southern part of what is now Turkey. And Paul and Barnabas uh, work their way up to Antioch. Now, this is Pisidian Antioch. So, there are different, it's like a different state. So, you've got Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is not like Bethlehem in Israel, Right? It has the same name, but it's a part of a different state. So we have Antioch and Pisidian Antioch. And sometimes it's just called Antioch for short as they're telling the story. So go into this area, and what happens is uh, they preach the gospel, signs and wonders happen, and they're kicked out of town. They move on to the next city. They go into Iconium. They preach the gospel... Signs and wonders happen, and they're kicked out of town. They throw, they pick up rocks. They, uh, that is a one way in the Old Testament of, of uh, you know, they didn't have guns. They weren't necessarily using knives. They just had big rocks, and they would throw them at people in order to kill them or to punishment or to chase them away. So Paul is experiencing the shame. He's experiencing physical danger. Then they move to another city called Lystra. And the other couple of cities they've been in up to this point, Paul, it's interesting to me, Paul starts by, uh, a, with a pretty significant sermon. 
But when he walks into this town, he sees a man, it says, uh, a man, an adult, who's been lame since he was born. And uh, when we lived in Asia, we saw many situations like this where I, I actually saw, uh, and, and often people that are lame or have a physical deformity, they, they can't work, so they will be beggars. Their family will use them as beggars. And I've seen people, I saw some children grow up all the way through their childhood into teenage years, and I saw them every time I went by this street corner, every time I went through this part of the city, it was, they were there. And I, I would ask them questions and get to know them. And it, it's just amazing. They're, here they are. In this city, these people have seen this guy for decades. He's always here. He's never been able to walk. Paul walks into the city and, and looks at him, sees that he has faith to be healed. He doesn't pray for him. He doesn't cast a demon out of him. He doesn't have a conversation with him. He just commands him to stand up, and he does. Everybody in the area freaks out. They start running around. It says in the Laconian language, so each one of these areas is like its own little tribal small group, a culture in these isolated pockets of of this ancient uh, area. So they're yelling things and running in circles, and Paul and Barnabas don't even know what they're saying. But what they're saying is, the gods have become men and are among us. And uh, this is a Greek religion, and they're all just running and screaming. Finally, they get the attention of the Greek priest, and he has an effect that Paul and Barnabas were not expecting. They haven't had this happen to them before. They bring bulls to sacrifice to them. Now, any of you had that happen on any of your short-term trips? <laughs> Go into a country, preach, see a miracle happen, and they try to sacrifice an animal to you. Well, Paul and Barnabas can't understand what's going on, but they see what's happening. And they, so they start tearing in their clothes and saying, we're just people like you. We're just human. And they have to go through all of this work just to stop them from sacrificing bulls to them. Well, amazingly, within a short period of time, there are Jews that come from Antioch and Iconium who are still pretty fired up and angry at Paul and Barnabas for what they've done. And they take this entire crowd, and within a short period of time, the people that were going to sacrifice animals to them have picked up rocks, and they're throwing them at Paul until the point that everyone thinks he's dead, and they drag him out of town. Now, the disciples at this point, so we're in Lystra still, okay? This is pretty far along. We're more than halfway through this year of their their short-term mission trip. And the disciples, all it says is that they gathered around Paul. And we we don't know what happened there, but then Paul got up. So Paul was either healed or raised from the dead at this point in time. And you'd think, wow, that was painful. I don't ever want to feel that again. No. They just go on to the next city and preach the gospel, heal the sick, and experience opposition. So, what do we learn from this whole process? Number one, and I've said it, and I want to emphasize it again, and it's something that there's huge resistance for us. 
And that is miracles, signs, and wonders are a part of normal Christianity. This is a part of the church. And I, I do want to say that in, in my experience, most of that power happens at the edge of the gospel. It doesn't happen. There's so many times we pray and we think, why isn't my child healed? Why doesn't this happen? But a person who's brand new saved, they see all kinds of things happen in their life. And, and people have miracles happen and never come to Jesus. It's fascinating to me. The power comes, someone is healed, a demon is cast out of someone, and they, they don't repent. That's not enough. But God is doing whatever he can to bring the validity of the gospel to them. So, okay, miracles, signs, and wonders. The power of God. It's not so much accepted in 10% of the world's population, 10 to 12%. North America and Western Europe, very analytical, not very spiritually minded, a lot of resistance to the supernatural. But if you go other places, this is not strange. This is normal. And we need to be interacting with and involved in these places so that our faith can get back to normal. We need to get back to normal. Not to strange, but to a place that is active and full of power of God. Number two, and this is where I'm going to camp for a while. What I'm about to tell you is, is something, this is, this is the main thing. I, I want to emphasize, yes, we need to believe God for the, His power. But what do we learn? Go means a change of location. Pretty simple, huh? Dictionary. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into all the world. That means you, you move from where you are to another place. So what, are, what does going mean? Go means go to new geography. With the Pierces, the, the, one of the, the stories that I, I wanted to draw out is they're on airplanes, they're on motorcycles. They've moved multiple times since they've been in Asia, just in the last five, six years. And that's it's actually a bit unpleasant. It is difficult. Paul spent 10 years of his life in all of these journeys. And bringing the gospel meant he had to move to the next city and to the next city and to the next city. So go means a change of location. It's physically traveling to another place. And go also means to cross racial and socioeconomic boundaries. So let me explain that. Paul went to places that were offensive to his family. The Jews believed it was sin, that it was against the will of God to relate to other races, that it made you 
unholy. And when Paul went to these areas, the resistance that they had to him was because he was breaking racial boundaries. Now, this is a common problem in our world. We become the center of our universe. We feel that the people like us, the people that are around us, the people we're most familiar with and most comfortable with, are the only people, uh, in a sense, this is who we should be relating to. This is, these are our boundaries. But what God had intended in Genesis chapter 12 was for the Jews to be blessed. He blessed Abraham so that he would be a blessing. And, and something happens. When people are blessed and they're strengthened and God gives them more, they tend to move to a place where they don't want to give it away. They want to keep it to themselves. This feels good. We have power. We feel secure. But that's called selfishness. And the gospel is all about humility and servanthood. Now, this isn't just, I'm not hammering the Jewish race. This happens with Christians. I'm going to tell you a concept called lift. It's a missionary concept that was researched and documented in a... a uh, in South America, and it's kind of historic process. Missionaries went into poor areas in South America, and people were broken. There was immorality, drunkenness, perversion, sickness, and uh, people went into these areas, preached the gospel, and people repented. They stopped their addictive behaviors, they stopped their immoral behaviors, and they stopped wasting money. They started focusing on their, uh, their families and focusing on their children. This brought health, it brought financial stability, and it brought strength. And the next generation moved from poverty to middle class. And even and their grandchildren, in many of these situations, because of good character, because of learning how to love people, because of living life that are, lives that are honorable, their children became wealthy. But the problem happened. They got to a place where they said, we are the ones that have done this. We are the source of our wealth. We are the reason why we're blessed is because of what we've done with our own hands. And they stopped extending the gospel to people that had need. So, lift is what the gospel does. It transforms people's lives, brings them into health, brings them into greater function, uh, good relationships, and ability to be a blessing to others. And then we shut it down. So it's important. I want to tell you the third go. We need to go to places that are uncomfortable. I'm going to explain this through telling uh, our three locations for our family. When Susan and I were in our 20s, 
Um, Susan was in her uh, residency. She's a pediatrician. And uh, so uh, we have these few vignettes in our life. Anybody that's in that, in, in that experience, you know, graduate school, an intense place, a residency, we had these three-day and uh, one-week experiences, and, and we chose to do some conferences so that we could build some vision and some life together for our marriage. So we went to a conference out in Los Angeles that was a, a missionary-based conference, and they didn't use this word, social justice, because we hadn't invented that yet. But it was basically that. It, and uh, the leader was a guy from South Africa. And this is in the 80s, okay? So a lot of things that hadn't happened yet. And they invited a speaker in named John Perkins. And John uh, wrote, he was he nearly uh, died, was nearly killed in the civil rights movement. And his ministry is based up to today in, in Mississippi in poor African-American communities. And uh, as he spoke, we were just inspired. He, was, he didn't bring shame. He didn't make us feel bad. He inspired us to love others. So when, uh, when Susan and I moved to Austin, Texas, we had a couple of kids, and uh, we had been in apartments, and we decided we wanted to get a house. So the, what we wanted to do was to move toward need instead of away from need. So we moved to East Austin. I-35 goes down through like two-thirds of Austin is, if we're looking at a map in the same direction, north to south, uh, Interstate 35 comes through town. This is two-thirds of the city, and this is one-third of the city. This part of the city, east of the highway, is where the predominantly African-American and Hispanic population live. And Susan and I said, that's where we're going to move to. We're going to go to East Austin. Um, uh, and had no concept of getting a good deal. We could afford a better house in another part of town. But we, and we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have a great plan. We didn't, we didn't think, oh, we're going to go in this area and we're going to have this ministry. We just wanted to be close to need. And... Uh, a number of things happened in, in that process. It shaped our children's worldview. They saw things that they didn't see that most, a lot of their friends saw. So yes, we had uh, their friends in other parts of the city, and we noticed over time that they didn't come to our house as much. They didn't come for sleepovers. They, didn't quite, they weren't quite comfortable in coming to where we lived. And Susan and I understood that. There's, not a, we, there's no big deal about that. But our children didn't understand that. They, and it wasn't until they were adults, they're like, what was that all about? What was that dynamic? And uh, <clears throat> yes, there was pushback. There was complicated things about living, living in East Austin. Uh, you know, we had uh, within, not right in front of our house, but about a block away, there'd be shootings there was a lot of drunkenness and drugs. Uh, people would break into our car. But it, we didn't lock our front door. We had a glass front door, and it just stayed open most of the time. And what we wanted to teach our children was, we're not afraid. We're excited about this. We've got a great life. Isn't this awesome? And... <clears throat> 
that shaped who they are. It was uncomfortable in some ways, but it allowed us to be a part of not just caring for people in simple ways. It didn't, it didn't take the major ministry for us to be involved in people's lives. We just, uh, <laughs> one of our neighbors had a lot of problems and addictions, and they didn't have electricity in their house, and so we put an extension cord between our houses, and they were able to operate their primary um, appliances. So that was not a big deal. We were not the major impact in the area, but we did simple things to love people. Go means to move where it's uncomfortable. After uh, a little more than 10 years in that neighborhood, God spoke to us right after 9-11. These buildings come down in New York City, and God says to us, now it's your turn to move to a Muslim country. We had family members that were very upset with us. By this time, there was four kids, and there's only one other. Susan has three sisters and her parents, so we're taking the grandchildren away from family, and we're taking them to someplace dangerous. When we moved to Indonesia, yes, we stand out. I am, for the first time in my life, I'm a minority. People stare at you. They treat you like you're stupid. They ask you, what are you doing here? But there are phenomenal things that happen. My sons got to have, got to surf in Bali just with a short bus ride. We, uh, we exp- I mean, I can tell you stories upon stories of crazy things that we got to experience. It was difficult. We experienced pain in the process of this transition. The third move that we have that was difficult was coming to Boston. Now, you may think, wait a second. Go Pats. Go Sox. What's your problem? And uh, I don't think this is bad, but I am a, a white southern man. And there's ways that I don't fit in the northern culture that I don't even understand, but I feel it at different points in time. So number one, I've been taught since I was a little bitty guy, you're very chivalrous with women. Open doors, you know, you're super gracious. And, and me, during one of these times of trying to be super warm and everything, I get reactions. You're sexist. And I'm just like, whoa, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> there's different places where... We have an amazing life. We are so blessed. I'm excited to be here. It, it was a bit of a transition. It was not comfortable for me to move. So, why would God want us to do these kind of things? Why does He want us to cross boundaries? Now, here's a, here's a, a quote. If we seek to avoid suffering... To arrange a life of non-ending comfort, to eradicate hardship from our lives, we sabotage our maturation process. We stop maturing. We stop growing. Why does God want us to cross boundaries? Because He loves everybody, every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. This is way down deep in my bones.
Why does God want us to cross boundaries? Because he wants to tear down pride and judgment inside of us. You know that every one of us need that work. You, you can make a little bit of progress and then you get stuck. You could be a little bit open. You can think, hey, you know, I don't do this. I don't have any bad attitudes. I don't have any judgments. I don't have any, any walls there. Jesus wants to do a number in your heart again and tear down anything of judgment and pride in your life. Why does he cause us to go across boundaries? Why does he call us to do this? Because he wants to teach each one of us how to love and respect people based upon their character and not upon their appearance. We can spend a lot of energy on this. I'm just telling you, we have to do this. And for parents, we chose, Susan and I, to go into a more inner city area. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to move into the city. But you do have to have diverse experiences. You do have to push the boundary and move into more racial, diverse situations for the health of your children, for the maturing process of your family. And you don't have to become a missionary, but you've got to cross the street. Children, you've got to find kids in your classrooms that are different and maybe not accepted in some way. And you've got to go to them. You've got to... If you are the one that's blessed, you've got to put some effort into this thing. You've got to cross the line and give. Or else you fall into pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency. Somebody say, ouch. Somebody say, amen. Somebody say, I wonder what he's going to say next. Then I want to challenge people that, that are pressing the edge in, in social situations. Are you bringing the gospel? Are you bringing the supernatural power of God? Are you just involved in social activities? Are you bringing the presence of Jesus as you cross boundaries? Now, we are blessed. We are, you know, I just... I, I am incredibly stupid and awkward again and again on a regular basis in so many different situations. But I've been in a lot of different cultures. I've been in Asia, Africa, Europe, Australia, Middle East, Southeast Asia. I've been in a lot of different countries. It makes me a rich man to gain other people's perspective. But, and, and it allows me to empower others, to affirm them, to draw out who they are. Come to the end of our time, and I want you to stand up, and I want the band to, to come in. And I just want to ask you, what does go mean to you? Brothers and sisters of color in this room, help us go. Help us have those conversations. 
Figure out, you know, don't, don't judge me for being insincere. Don't, don't, don't come at me with that first. Let me be stupid and help pull me across the line. The rest of us, wherever you are in this mixture, you know, we're, we're all just a bunch of mutts. We're all, there's no one racially pure in this room. We are, we are, we're a mess. But will you go across the street? Will you bring, we be a part of bringing this gospel? For some of you, just always throw this out. It may mean another nation. It may mean that you're supposed to really lose a lot of your life and culture to go somewhere. You're going to be blessed. If we think we're losing something, when we go, you are blessed when you go. You're blessed. Your life is richer.